urban planning content is kind of everywhere now, and its rise is sort of fascinating to me. See, my partner's grandpa was a town planner, and when we went to visit him, he'd occasionally point out something in his local town that he'd helped design. I specifically remember him pulling into the car park of a Harvester pub once, and him being like, I drew this, this was me. Which was interesting, and pretty charming. But I never remember thinking it was cool in the conventional sense. Being a town planner was, in my mind, and I assumed in most other people's, a kind of nerdy, maybe occasionally dull, office job. But over the past few years, that seems to have changed. Significantly. Suddenly, I can't move on YouTube or TikTok or Twitter without being served some kind of urban planning or public transport content. And people seem to not only find this content interesting or intellectually stimulating, but cool. Urban planning is cool now. For quite some time, I've been keen to try and explore why this shift came about. And in order to do so, there was really only one person to speak to. The orange urbanist himself, Jason from Not Just Jason, Fox. welcome to the show. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to give up a little bit of your evening to me. Yeah, no problem. Anything, uh, uh, anytime, uh, Tom. It's great. That was that was a big promise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to come on, man. I, I'm a big fan of your videos. I actually watch them all, and I, and that's not true of most uh, Nebula creators. So uh, oh, you know, or mo most creators in general, right? I don't watch that much stuff, but I've always found your stuff uh, enjoyable. Oh, thank. You. Oh, that that's always really nice. Um, and and the the uh, adoration is uh is uh re returned. I really like. I really. Uh, I mean, as will come across in the course of of this. Uh, podcast i'm sure really enjoy as many people do which is sort of the thing we're here to discuss a little bit um that not just bikes has i i think is it your fan base describes it as being orange pilled am i yeah, correct they, they describe it as being orange pilled that once they've watched the my content they can never see their cities the same way again which yeah. can be a good thing or a bad thing depending on who you ask <laughs> in fact this was so, so i know we've had we've had this chat kind of set up for, for a few weeks now but yeah. i was really sort of you know over the last week as as you know it was it was on my calendar coming towards me i was thinking about it um partly because so, so i was in new york doing some doing some work um for nebula the fantastic video uh platform we are we are I'm familiar with it. uh and i'd been to new york once before maybe and i, th I think i worked out it was 2014 because right. me and my partner had watched birdman and had come out of the <laughs> cinema and been like just and like just sort of easily swayed children had been like oh that place was cool we should we should go to that we should go to that place that's um nice. that's, they, they seem like good buildings nice. um and uh and i think when when we were there that time uh i must have realized that being in new york involved crossing the road quite a lot because it's this sort of grid city so you yeah sort of walk for five minutes you stop for a while you walk for five minutes and you stop for a while so and i think i must have noticed that when we were there last time but this time i really noticed it in a way that i and sort of in a in a way of being able to think about it in a kind of contextualized way right. as a kind of i guess what i'd call a kind of political issue in terms of it's a it's a question of how do we shape the spaces in which we right exist and stuff um, and is it reasonable that i need to stop and wait this much in new york city when there's like 
10 times as many people on the sidewalk as there are in cars. Yeah. And, and who is it that has these, who is it that is driving? And, you know, some of these are business vehicles where you go, okay, you need to get, I think I was staying in a kind of flower district and sometimes you need to get flowers from one place to another in in a van. And that kind of makes sense. Sometimes you've got a big hulking, great SUV with, with dark windows where it's probably just someone wants to get from A to B a little bit quicker than uh, they would be able to on the metro or or right. walking partly because of the uh, the the fact you have to cross the road all the time. And <laughs> yes, the number of lights you need to wait for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which it which is a lot. And also, just I I always have the I always find it interesting going to different countries. The fact that everything is like almost similar, but not quite. So you have what is essentially a zebra crossing in the UK. Yeah. But for some reason, all the cars can turn right at you. And that suddenly there's this like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm, I, I don't sort yeah. of have right away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've talked about that before. Right on red is, is bonkers. You know, it's really funny. Um, the, uh, when I, when I, when I talk about the history of the Netherlands, the, you know, the oil crisis in the 1970s hit a mm. lot of countries um, and, uh, and it caused a lot of terrible effects all over the place. Uh, in the Netherlands, it helped to kick off a lot of the changes that happened to make it a cycling country. And the United States, the only thing, lasting thing they got out of the oil crisis was turning right on red. So they had implemented that during the oil crisis to save on gasoline so that cars didn't need to idle at a red light when turning right. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's still there today. And it kills a ridiculous number of people. Like, I shouldn't even be laughing about it, except that it's so ridiculous that it's still around, given how many people get killed yeah. um, when turning right on red. It's it's absurd. But uh, trying to get rid of it is is damn near impossible. Um, I, I know I think it is. it's been tried. For me, it was a time when I was crossing and there was like two lanes coming around. So, so one, I could keep an right. eye on i could work that out right. but then when there was like another car coming and because they're these big hulking great suv things yeah like the the car you, you sort of don't see the next one come round, and you're yep. suddenly like you know i don't know you suddenly feel like it's sort of massive elephants you're around to be stampeded by and you're sort of like thank you very much thank you. that's one of those things you see very often in the united states that when you do have zebra crossings um you uh and i will pronounce that the the british way because i did live in the uk for six years it is zebra crossing um thank you thank you (laughs) (laughs) you know it's actually funny i lived in the uk and worked for a british company and they really beat me down on a lot of my pronunciations of words like i will say aluminium um but anyway uh (laughs) um one of the problems you (laughs) it really was worn down and i remember the first time i said that i'll put it in my diary instead of calendar i was like i need to leave i can't do this anymore (laughs) Anyway. I, I I feel like that's not the worst. I feel like I I would I would understand what someone said by that. That's not the it's not one of the like weird ones um holding down the fort or could care less. Some of those where it really sort of uh, I don't know, a diary in in North America is something that only a little girl would write in. So it's Oh, uh, oh, yeah. oh yeah, it's it's your dear so diary rather. It makes than... no sense whatsoever <laughs> to North Americans to say I'll put it in my diary. And I was like, that was one I was really trying not to do. But anyway, the point I was trying to make here before I got horribly distracted is that um, uh, in the U.S., a lot of the problem with the zebra crossings is you have to cross multiple lanes of traffic and there's no like refuge island in the center, which is quite common in the U.K. Mm. too, to have that little island, you know, you cross a lane or two and then there's that little island you wait at 
that's very rare in the United States. And so you get these situations where you have to cross five, six, seven lanes of, of car traffic on a zebra crossing. And it, it's and it's ridiculously dangerous. Yeah, I and I, I I think it was I think what really struck me was the the way in which I was thinking about it. So that, that before I would have gone, oh, there's a lot of cars here. I'm just in a yeah. big city. Yeah, it's sort of fact and it's of just life the way it is, right? Yeah, um, and maybe that's that. I don't live in the biggest city in the world. So, what part of the UK uh, do you live in? So I live in a city called Plymouth, which is in yeah. uh, like the southwest. So that's the yep. pointy little bit down the bottom. Um, so it's not a huge uh city. It's it's fairly car centric in that the public transport isn't amazing, but it's not so big that that completely takes everything over. Um, but you'll you'll still have your local high street and things like that, right? Like, yeah. In fact, um, in fact, the the one that's near me is the the sort of closest kind of, although closest by one maybe high street, um, is a kind of interesting. I've I've thought sort of using using the the terminology that that you use, which I think you sort of from strong towns of your of your strode yes um, i we sort of do it's not so it's not quite as big yeah it's not it's only two lanes either side yeah um but we do have a street where it has shops either side and sort of seems like and always seems like it's going to be the cool street with lots of little shops and sort of sometimes gets sort of half the way there right but then has like a a sort of central reservation with barriers up because it it's very much a kind of through fare for traffic and right. it would be really tempting just to run across the road and i'm sure it's one of those barriers where you feel like there's probably a story behind yeah it's probably the there reason. for a reason there's probably quite a dark story behind why that barrier is there um but it sort of does okay i think um and so to go to a a big american city um there was there's always going to be a leap but i think it was really interesting the fact that there has been such an explosion in discussions around urban environments that suddenly meant that i was looking at it in a in this really connected way of going right. oh that this isn't sort of the way that and i guess i don't have the same ownership over new york to be to be really like oh no i really feel really sorry for fourth avenue or wherever i was I, no the avenues are the smaller ones that go i don't know to be like oh i really wish i don't remember avenues are one way streets <laughs> to the other i don't remember i've been to new york many times but uh i don't know i wasn't i wasn't there going like oh i really i i feel so sorry for broadway that it's not fully pedestrianized but i was going oh what isn't it interesting that these choices have been made to yes. make this place which i mean is in many ways quite traversable without um any kind of car you can yeah and new york city like... is the weird exception in the united states like whenever you see any graphs of anything related to urban planning there'll be all of the cities here and then a big spike for new york because it's so different mm. in every way to every other uh, other every other city in the in the country um but it's still a place that uh oh man it it's a place that that disappoints me so much because you never know that seventy percent I think it's a little more than seventy percent these days of households in Manhattan do not own a car, um, mm. but you never know it by the number of cars that are there. It's uh, it's, yeah. it's shocking. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a strange place. Uh, 
when compared to other world cities of its size, like if you compared it to London or, or Paris or, you know, Hong Kong or something like that. Um, but it's also strange in the United States, too, in that there's really no other city in the United States that's anything close to to New York, especially Manhattan. Mm, I did actually go. I went on the Sunday. I went outside of New York to a town called New Rochelle, which is just sort of to the north mm-hmm. um, to go to a very tiny museum. And I asked someone like how to cause about half an hour walk to get there. And he he was just like, there's the taxis. Yeah, um, right. And, and like, he was like, oh, you get a, get a cab there. And I was like, it's sort of a nice, it's a nice day. I, I, I don't want to spend $25, $30 on cabs getting there and back. I'd have a nice walk through, because uh, I could see some of it was through a park. Right. Um, so I think there is a, there is a particularly maybe a, American cultural thing around cars, but I don't think it is uh, just there. Like, I definitely feel it in the UK. Yeah. Um, it's it's very different in the UK, but it's still an element that's there. I mean, this is one of these things that permeates all over the world, right? I think, uh, I mean, cars are really useful. So, yeah, of course, yeah, you're yeah. going to use them. Uh, and as you talked about, there'd be the, the flower trucks and all that kind of thing. I mean, motor vehicles are incredibly useful. But I do kind of feel like in the 20th century, we won, went a little or- overboard with it. We had this new technology called cars. And we're like, oh, my God, this is the, this is the best thing ever. Let's put them everywhere. Let's have everyone drive them all the time. We don't need anything else. And I kind of feel like we just went too far with that logic. And now we need yeah. to reel it back in a little bit to say, okay, this is a really useful technology we have here, but let's use it in moderation, like where it's useful because it's like literally killing us too, right? So mm. um, I, yeah, I, but, but everywhere in the world, of course, uh, it's so easy for a city to get overrun by automobiles because it's one of these things that I've talked about before where on an individual basis, it can be really, really great. You know, you're mm-hmm. sitting in your own little private metal box. You can go wherever you want, whatever you want. But on a societal basis, when everybody's in cars, it's a, it has a lot of negatives. And and mm-hmm. I think it's that kind of balance between the the uh, personal benefits and the societal costs that really causes a lot of the issues there fundamentally. I'm 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 lucky in that I do most of my work from home, and then do sort of a day or two where i'm not at home and where i mostly cycle to places right and so when i do so me and my partner share a car which she mostly uses because she needs to get get to work in it and and the few the very few times where i have to drive and i'm driving at a time when it is like rush hour or whatever i i do find it really odd because like we've got a not particularly nice car it's also not particularly eco-friendly but it's a yeah, it gets us around, but it doesn't have a fancy entertainment system or anything. Right. And it's those times where I go, oh, this is why some of my friends are like, no, I, I need a really great radio and I need it to not have windscreen wipers that hit against the side and go like clack, 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 <laughs> where I'm like, oh, this is fine. And I'm like, oh, no, because you're sat in it for. Yeah, you're going to be trapped in it for hours time. and hours and hours at a time. So it had better be nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but have you. But have, it does feel like there is a, a, I think backlash is not the right word, maybe, because that, that feels sort of a bit bit more angry in a kind of rage-filled way. But it does feel like there is a sort of questioning. And I know you, you were saying before we came on that for you, it's maybe hard to tell um, to what extent that has permeated too wide a society because you're sort of at the heart of um, yeah i'm like literally in the middle of it and a lot of it is literally orbiting around me and my channel so i yeah <laughs> it's like i can't see in any direction i look it's urban planning i mean okay so i can't think 
I can't think of a I can't think of a less sort of aggrandizing comparison than this. But I feel like it's a bit like <laughs> I'm, I'm, this is very flattering. Um, uh, Jesus must have been like, whoa! Everyone's suddenly talking about this Christianity thing. Everyone's. You know, it's quite know what... funny because I'm, there's I'm... a. There's a bit of a cult that's 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 happened around the channel too, uh, and especially if you go over to the subreddit uh, "fuck cars," um, yeah, yeah, which was not started by me, but it, but the people who started it are fans of the channel. Like it, it's got some of the flair there is not just bikes and orange pilled and stuff like that in it, and um and people over there um have made the joke before that i'm the messiah and there's these life of brian memes that have been photoshopped with my head on it where I, they're in there the messiah and i'm like and and it's like photoshop life of brian with with my head on it that says i'm not the messiah and then it's like only the messiah would say he's not the messiah <laughs> so, i don't i don't think i could cope with that i think i've i've talked previously about the fact that I quite like, I don't know, I often don't feel a huge amount of pressure before one of my videos comes out. Um, right. I don't think I, I don't know, like I, I like to make them good. I like to make them as good as I can, right. but I don't, I, I tend to feel like if one of my videos is bad, it just doesn't get any, no one watches it. Um, and, I kind <laughs> of, and I sort of don't mind that. I would sort of prefer that to be the system that if I make something and it's not good, it's just gets Nobody watches it and they all time. forget about it and that's the yeah. end of it, right? Yeah, I'm okay with that. I don't think I could deal with um, uh, <laughs> with everyone being like the Messiah is about to release <laughs> a new, a new <laughs> is about to descend from, <laughs> from oh my wherever God. the mountain that he I just think he goes up a mountain at some point I can't remember. <laughs> I, I would like to think that it's really not quite that bad, but there definitely is. Uh, it, it, it is kind of crazy how much that my channel has grown. Um, and I don't really know why that is. I don't know if my channel hit like struck a nerve or whether it was just good timing because I started the channel in October of 2019 and mm -hmm. it hit 100,000 subscribers uh, in about 13 months, I think it was, which is very fast, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, uh, But at the same time, that was right before COVID hit and the lockdowns hit. Right. Mm. And so I think um, part of this urban planning thing, I think, is due to the coronavirus lockdowns, because what happened is that pretty much every city in the world suddenly had a lot fewer cars on the road. Mm. And so no matter where you were, you're, you're suddenly looking at like one tenth the number of cars on the road because people weren't going to work and they weren't going out. They certainly weren't doing, you know, leisure trips and things like that. And I think people, um, you know, with, with uh, a lot of the shops being closed and things like that, people were out on the streets more often mm -hmm. and they started looking around and going like, wow, it's a lot nicer here now that uh, there's a lot fewer of these cars around. You know, it's quieter and and uh, it's a lot more pleasant to cross the street and, and you know, it's easier to get around. And and people started, uh, you know, for example, um, bicycles became like sold out around the world. Yeah. during the, the coronavirus lockdown and the, the bicycle manufacturers were having trouble getting parts and getting bicycles into shops and stuff like that because there was such a huge spike in demand for bicycles and i think again that's because people well maybe they didn't want to take public transit and so they decided to take a bicycle but i think it's also an element that when there's fewer cars on the road people feel mm -hmm. safer cycling and i've seen this all over uh cities in europe too even outside of the coronavirus um that 
in general, the cities that have lower car, car volumes and lower speeds have more people who ride bicycles, uh, you know, infrastructure or not, they just they feel safer out there. And that's usually the thing that holds back cycling in anywhere in the world. Yeah, I know. Um, I started, well, I'd, I'd sort of been through, had a few periods in my life where I'd, I'd done quite a lot of running um, and sort of d- done it for a while and sort of stopped. I think maybe twice I'd had like sort of maybe year, a year where I sort of ran quite a lot for a year and then you know it, it came to winter and the days got shorter and I didn't want to run in, uh, on Christmas day and then that sort of went away for a couple of years but um over the last like maybe two or three years now I've been running quite a lot and that was during um COVID that I started that because suddenly exercise was a thing that <coughs> excuse me exercise was a thing that I had to actively go actively go i'm gonna do this on this particular time of the day uh because i'm not gonna because go, walking up and down the stairs isn't gonna gonna yeah you know, that's not gonna cut it anymore in the same way that previously i might have gone to the shop a lot more in the week because right I, I like just going to the shop and browsing around the supermarket um and it has meant that i've spent a lot more time sort of I, i've always been i've rarely been someone who's driven all the time so I've often been someone who's walked around walked and cycled and um got around that way but it has meant that the city I live in is sort of kind of the place I hang out in some ways like as as much as if I was playing on the PlayStation for an hour in my living room instead I'm going on an hour's run essentially I'm kind of just hanging hanging around in in the in the city and so you do suddenly notice um you notice things in a slightly different way about how how the space is planned and how um like i i know all the different ways that i can run and try and avoid crossing too many roads because i don't right. want to have to stop lots um right. and you start to really notice where how things um shift together so i imagine there's probably lots of people who um started off doing that and then suddenly oh there's more cars coming back and you're suddenly going oh yeah and people started to see it so they experienced it with fewer cars and then the cars Mm -hmm. started coming back and then they're like this kind of sucks now um i wonder why that is and they pop on the internet and suddenly there's this orange branded channel telling them (laughs) hey here's the reason why it sucks so much is is, (laughs) is the hoodie you're wearing is that a, for anyone that's anyone that's listening to the audio version, Jason is wearing a fabulous orange hoodie. Yes, is this, is this branded? Is this? It is not branded, actually. This was one uh, I I went back to Canada last summer, and my mother got me this orange hoodie. She's like, she saw it, and she was like, "This is the orange. This is NJB orange." Oh, so. <laughs> oh that I'm glad I asked. That was really. Cool. I, I got the I got the branded mug, but uh, well, th- this is the branded mug that says Nachos Bikes. But, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway. Which is your your Mr. Beast burger. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, right. <laughs> I got to start a Mexican restaurant. Um, but that's interesting because that's sort of a similar place to where you were coming from when you started the channel is, although rather than it being walking around your city without cars yep. and the cars coming back, more of a kind of geographical um, yeah. comparison, um, which has been really interesting. I don't know if this has been increasingly, I think I was particularly thinking about it while watching the video you did with foreign man foreign land um uh about uh the bahamas and thinking about it's really interesting you going to different places um has been a really and sort of being like how does this work what can we learn what can we um 
because that kind of those kind of geographical comparisons i think work really are really interesting yeah and i'm hoping to do more of those over the coming years now that travel is freed up uh some more uh, it's it's a little bit difficult for me to travel because i mm. do have two kids you know i have a family yeah. and everything <laughs> but uh but I've been trying to make uh, make opportunities to travel. I've been out to Paris and I've been to Switzerland and and Italy uh, around Italy with high speed trains. And I was just recently in Oslo and I'm, I'm working on on those videos right now. Um, and I, I find it really is interesting to go to all these different cities and see what they're doing well and what they could mm. be doing better. And I think there are examples there uh, that are really interesting. I found Oslo to be fascinating. They've basically solved car traffic. Like car traffic's mm. gone now, um, and it. And it certainly wasn't even when I was there five years ago. So it's amazing to see um, it, the, these cities and how they're changing. I, I think there's a lot of really interesting things happening in Europe in particular. I, I have a horrific public transport in Oslo story. Oh, yeah? Of, um, of, <laughs> maybe horrific is overselling it. Of, I, when I was there, I got one tram, I think, in my entire trip. Because one day I'd, I'd been working there most of the time and I had a day off. And I was like, I'm going to see as many sites as possible. And I got yep. one of those uh, kind of tickets you get in lots of cities where you can get entry to lots of different museums and you also get free transport right. on the on the buses and trams, et cetera, for the day. Right. It was getting towards the end of the day and lots of stuff had closed because it was kind of autumn, I think. And so it gets, gets dark at about three o'clock. So most places closed by five because no one wants to be out and about. Um or at least the museums and stuff did. Um, and the only place that was open was a kind of reptile um, uh, zoo kind of thing, which when I got there was a very small building with just like sort of a <laughs> gecko there and a, a snake there. It was very much me just being like, well, I've, I've paid 40 euros or whatever for this. Um, I'm going to see every I'm damn like, museum. And I've got an hour and I can get that one in, so I'm going. Um, and I was on this tram back from it being like, oh, that was, you know, I... Um, uh, that was something, I guess. Uh, and I, I was trying to work out where my stop was. And I was there for ages. And I couldn't work out. It was another one of those things of being in a slightly different country and not being entirely certain how the system works. And they had a right. kind of what I assumed was a stop button. And I was like, well, I hope it's not like an emergency alarm button. So I got up and I sort of pressed it really gently. And that didn't do anything. And I was like, because I think I was just too, being too timid because I was worried it was the... The, i'm having an emergency yeah right um, so then i got the second time and i pushed it and it did go bing and it came up with something that i was like okay i'm pretty sure that stopped that's okay and then i went to sit back down and it was one of those seats that just does the flip up when you um <laughs> yeah, they have a lot of those in norway for some reason the flip up seats yeah crash to the floor and i was just like i it's like last year as well so i'm like i'm like a grown man i'm not like i'm not like 14 or something and get away with it <laughs> i just like i cannot come back to this city i, I... i'm sorry that's it that's it you're done <laughs> but it was but it is quite because some of their um transport stuff has been quite car centric in that it's been about electric cars hasn't it in yes. norway that yes. they've sort of used the oil money to um subsidize uh i think you can essentially just get an electric car really really cheap i think is the yeah i, I mean norway that. in general was built to be a bit car centric through the early 20th century because they were in oil power and they were happy to like have cheap oil and have lots of cars and that seemed like the future um i think every place did that in the 60s but any place mm. that had oil certainly did that in the 60s and and then as things 
was it became clear that um, that internal combustion engines were not a good idea. Um, they they pushed hard over to electric cars, and with lots of steep discounts and everything, to the point where it's actually crazy how many cars in Norway are electric. Like you're just going around the streets of of Oslo, and it's all electric cars everywhere. And electric cars brands I've never seen, never heard of. Um, and, and it's really interesting. But what what I what I have found um, interesting about uh, Norway is that over the past few years they've kind of let up on the electric car thing, and they've they've mm-hmm. had this acknowledgement, this public acknowledgement that actually probably better to have a lot of these people in public transit than to to have them all in electric cars. And so they've been actually ramping that down a little bit mm-hmm. and bringing up public transit, which has been really interesting to see. Because it's, I think it, it's sort of because it is quite a rural country, so there's probably there's pan- in parts, yeah, that makes yeah. if up in the north that probably yeah. makes a lot of like you know I I grew up in the countryside and um there was it could it could have been connected the buses sort of gradually got cut down to the point yeah. where I think there was like one a day into the the major metropolis where I now live um but uh, yeah. but so there, I think there there is places where it where but particularly somewhere like Oslo where it is quite it's not, it's not even actually that big, is it, as a city? Not particularly, although it's not particularly high density either. It's mm. um, it's a little bit, um, um, I, I, you know, I'd have to check the numbers, but it certainly doesn't feel like an inc- extremely high density city. And it does go out and sprawl a little bit. But I find that the sprawl in Oslo is not so much car dependent sprawl. It's very much built around uh, transit. So it goes out, there's all these little towns and stuff out as you go out and out out of the city, but they're all connected by a metro line. They're all connected by a rail line, mm-hmm. um, and then they've got you know the the little town around the rail station, um, and and it and again that that seems to work quite well for them when it comes to reducing the amount of traffic in the capital. Hey, I hope you're enjoying my chat with Jason. If you are and you want to get your hands on more episodes of Induction, then you might like to know that every single episode of the show is released a full two weeks early on my streaming service, Nebula. Perhaps you've already heard a little bit about Nebula already. It's a premium streaming service built by a bunch of educational and education-adjacent creators. Philosophy Tube, Innuendo Studios, Jacob Geller, and, well, me. Alongside being completely ad-free, Nebula is packed with an ever-expanding library of early access and exclusive content from your favourite creators. A particular favourite of mine at the moment is Jetlag, a globe-trotting game show from the team behind Wendover Productions and Half as Interesting, in which contestants race across the world to various far-flung locations and perform all kinds of challenges along the way. And, as I mentioned, both the audio and video versions of every single episode of Induction appear on Nebula a full fortnight earlier than on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you currently get this show. If you want to find out a little bit more about Nebula, then I'd be super grateful if you do so by using our personalised link go.nebula.tv forward slash induction. Using that link will ensure that you get the absolute best deal on Nebula at any given time which at the moment is just $2.50 a month. It will also send some money our way to help us fund future episodes of Induction and main channel videos too. That link again is go.nebula.tv forward slash Induction. Now, back to my chat with Jason. What what has been out of the... As you've been travelling with this sort of eye to it, what has been... Does Amsterdam remain your kind of gold standard for... <laughs> You know, the funny thing is um, that uh, we moved to Amsterdam, 
I mean, I won't go through the whole origin story, but we had lived in a bunch of different countries. We lived in the UK and Taiwan and Belgium. I had lived in uh, the United States and California as well and all over Canada. Um, and, um, and we had moved back to Canada. And after living in all these nice walkable places, it just, it wasn't doing it for me. We tried to live as like European as possible to live like in an older neighborhood that still had some remnants of a high street, still had streetcars and stuff like that. But it just, it was not the same. There's just still, there's that you can tell the influence of car dependency. It, it comes into every city in Canada and it's kind of inescapable. Um, so we were looking at the sort of next place to live, but it had to be the last place. So we did a bunch of research. We had been all over the place. We had been to every major city that you could imagine. Um, but, uh, but, but we ended up in Amsterdam because of some of that research to say like, where did we want to raise our kids? Where did we want to stay for the, the rest of our, our lives? Right. Mm. Um, but Amsterdam wasn't the only city we were looking at. Like I was looking at other cities in Copenhagen and Oslo and Stockholm and lots of different places um but we did settle on on amsterdam i'm not even necessarily convinced that amsterdam's the best city in the netherlands like i really like utrecht if you like smaller cities i really enjoyed delft and leiden uh, i think there's a lot of great places here hmm. so i don't know um amsterdam is a fantastic city it really really is and of course in the netherlands the bike infrastructure is is second to none there is nowhere in the world that comes anywhere close to the cycling infrastructure in the netherlands not only in its quality but in its pervasiveness it's everywhere throughout the entire country like i can take a train out to some tiny little village and get out and get a rental bike there and i know that it'll be safe to cycle around anywhere i go so it's remarkable in that way but i think um that you know i i don't i certainly don't think that the netherlands has a monopoly on great cities certainly not in europe um and like i said i was really impressed with oslo um i've I've been impressed with lots of different places here. I, I was really impressed with the quality of the public transportation in Berlin, for example, when I was there a few weeks ago or a few months ago, I guess it is now. So, yeah, I think, um, I mean, my channel obviously talks about Amsterdam a lot because that's where we live. But I don't think that it's necessarily like the greatest city in the world or something like that. I think there's there's lots of European cities that are up there. And I think it would be even tough to say which one's the best. I mean, for example, the public transportation in Amsterdam is good, but it's not as good as other places in Europe. And I think part of the reason for that is because the cycling is so good, that actually cuts into the public transportation a yeah. bit too. So it's a, it's a complex thing. And it really depends, like, which slice you're looking for what's important to you in a city. I think, I think what, what's always interesting about Europe as well is the, the ways in which the kind of slightly more macro level of how you can get between um, yeah. cities as well. Um, I think earlier, maybe six months ago, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. Um, my partner went to uh, Lille. Was it? Was it Lyon? I can't remember. Went to France in the south, <laughs> um, and uh, and got the and decided to get the train rather rather than fly. Um, and getting to get sort of getting into France was a a bit of a ordeal because um the uk's trains are not completely but quite oft but largely on a kind of hub and spoke kind of thing if you go to london and then yeah. you go out to yeah to wherever you need to go to um there, there there is sort of deviations to that but there is 
if you want to get between two big cities, often you do have to go to, well, definitely from where we are, you often have to go into London and then sort of right. back out. Um, and so she had to go up to London to then sort of go back a little bit to get uh, on the on the Eurostar. But then once she was in France, once she got to, um, I guess it was Gardenor, I think. the Yeah, um, Gardenor in Paris, yeah. Uh, like after that, the trains were like quicker and like, so much cheaper than it had been to sort of get to London. Um, and the whole system just sort of worked for being able to cross huge amounts of the country. Yeah. Um, uh, and also it's such a great way to, to travel distances, I think. Um, oh, it really is. I've just, I, I, I mean, I love trains, but <laughs> it's just, I absolutely love trains. And they can be a pain in the ass sometimes in Europe, especially going between countries. And, you know, if, if this service doesn't talk to that one, if one train is late and then you have to deal with the next service and and it's certainly not perfect. But but wow, like train travel can just be so wonderful at times, mm. especially compared to airline travel, which I did a lot of because I used to work a job where I was traveling more or less constantly uh, and I've done more plane travel than anybody should ever do in a lifetime it's I, and i'd be happy to never set foot on a plane again um unfortunately there's no trains to canada so i do have to do it sometimes still but man i will take a train over a plane every single time it's possible like when we went to switzerland for example we took um the night train and it's just it's just so great yeah. i mean it's just so much nicer to just you know you take public transit or or in our case maybe we cycle to the train station and then, you know, you, you get on a train, it's nice and comfortable. There isn't all that nonsense with security. There isn't even the nonsense with like, you know, put your, your tray tables up and prepare for takeoff and all this stuff and all the, the tiny seats. And it's just, it's comfortable and you can get up and walk around. There's a bar car and like, you know, it's just, it's just so nice to take the train. You can look out the window, you can continue using your mobile devices because you get service the whole way. It's, it's just nice. I want to do. Uh, I definitely, when I was watching your, it was the it it was the Switzerland one, wasn't it? Where you had yeah. the the trains with those gorgeous views. Yeah, and they I are really, stunning. And I you know really the funny thing was train holidays because they we, are. We did the uh, Glacier Express, and uh, that video is on Nebula. So you also might have seen that one, but it's only on Nebula. Um, uh, about the the Glacier Express train that goes from um Zermatt to to Saint Moritz. And uh, and it's really nice with the glass and everything, and they they do a whole meal and all this stuff. But but the thing is, like even some of the local trains there are just really nice trains with big windows, yeah. and it's just a local train. But it's just it's gorgeous. You just you sit there in a comfortable seat with this like stunning window that the like overlaps a bit on the roof of the train, and you can see all the mountains and the snow, and it's like. Like, why would I travel any other way? This is so civilized. Someone's just thought about that slightly differently and just gone yeah. like, what if this was nice? Right. What, what if this was like a really... It was nice. Which sometimes back... So we've got... um, So the the train line in Southwest England, the Great Western Railway, um, was built by Isabug Kingdom Brunel in whenever. Um, the man. The man himself. Um, and there is a bit where it uh, goes... So he didn't want it to go across the moors because... Uh, for, for whatever reason he wanted it to go by the sea because that was going to be a sort of spectacular view and right. it is a fantastic view but it has been prone to occasionally uh flooding and then <laughs> sort of just part of just we sort of get cut off for like right but they've built a slightly bigger flood wall now um right 
and it is a fan like it is hard to I, I, like i do it a relative relatively large amount so it sort of maybe loses a bit of the kind of wow it's just to see one side of the train right um, but it is it is a cool uh it is it is a cool view i i remember uh when i was when i was younger um so my dad actually worked on the trains which meant you which in the in the uk for some reason anyone who works sort of on or near a train seems to get i don't know if they still do it a, a sort of discount card which um uh you sort of get 16 days free travel or something for for yourself. okay yeah maybe 21 day or something for yourself and and your uh, spouse and and i think any dependents you have uh, and it also had some sort of thing where he could get discounted travel um in other countries and on their train networks i guess it was some yeah. kind of reciprocal thing um and so for the sort of big holiday we did uh, as kids uh, it, it obviously involved trains to sort of use this great discount um and so we got the train to paris I think, yeah, we got the train to. Oh no, I think we got the train to Rome and then came back and did Paris on the way back. All oh, right. We did yeah. the sleeper train through the Alps overnight, and just the memory of doing that is one of those where it was. I I must have been like seven, so I can't. So my memories of it aren't particularly rich, but it does have this sort of romantic uh, element to it of sort of having this thing of being half asleep going through the Alps and that being, <laughs> yeah. Um, an am- sort of amazing experience and i i think i think i've sort of managed to recreate it kind of once and um, me and my partner did we flew to seattle and did the train that goes down the coast to oh right um, yeah we actually went to san francisco i think and then got a coach the last bit which which is about yes there, some of those scenic trains are still still in existence in um in the u.s and canada as long as you're not in a hurry they can be mm. very they can be very nice. Uh, yeah, the one through th- Canada is horrendously expensive, uh, but uh, this one was some o- of the Americans. Yeah, not this so one bad. was sort of okay. I think it yeah. had lots of tiers, but the bottom one was like fine. We had a chair yeah. and a good view. Um, but it was that there was sort of one a day. So any place we stopped, we sort of got off at half three, had a day or two there, and then you got back on at half three, um, you know, the same time, which meant you couldn't really maximize the time you had in a certain place because if you got off in at 10 in the morning you were going to have right. to get back on and spend the day but yeah. um but it wasn't a bad way to spend days sort of going through the the <clears throat> rockies i don't know if it's the rockies some sort of yeah. for- some foresty hills we went through <laughs> um which were quite exciting because the train had to sort of do this up oh right yeah the switchbacks and everything yeah in 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 Europe, they tend to have the tunnels, especially in Switzerland, so that mm. they don't do the switchbacks anymore. You're just into a tunnel, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you're in a very very long tunnel. You know, the thing is with trains is that it, the travel can be really really enjoyable. Like the train mm. itself can be part of the vacation, and I think that's something I feel is lost when traveling by car or by airplane, where the travel is kind of just a pain in the ass, and you just want to get it over with as fast as possible. And uh, and I always found that kind of frustrating when people talk about, oh, well, you know, it's it's this many hours to fly and, and this many more hours to take the train. So, of course, I'm going to fly. I'm like, yeah, but flying sucks and taking the train doesn't. So mm-hmm. um, and even then, sometimes when you add in getting to the airport early and all that other stuff, it's not even slower on the airplane. But but even if it even if it is um, sorry, uh, slower on the on the train, 
it's it's more enjoyable. It's just it's just a nice way to travel. And I think people that haven't experienced good trains, they just they don't get that. They don't they've never experienced the idea that getting somewhere can be as enjoyable as getting there, like being there, you know? Mm. It's it's a it's a totally different way of looking at transportation. And uh, yes, I'm very much in favor of more trains. The more trains, the better. There's something about like the gentle, the sort of gentle like rumble of <laughs> that's kind of just so- just soothing in a way. Um, and I I'm, tell you, good trains are great. Yeah. So uh, right before we had kids, actually, my wife was literally pregnant with our with our first child. We took the train from Moscow to um, Beijing. Uh, through Mongolia, wow. through uh, through um, Russia, and it was five and a half days, and it was just phenomenal. Like you see mm-hmm. all of Russia and Mongolia, and you go into China, and it's just it's phenomenal the things you see because also the things you see aren't the things that you would normally see on a trip to any of those countries, right? Mm. Um, especially going in China, where you stop in some city you've never heard of that has two million people, and the <laughs> and the smog is so thick you could cut it with a knife, but. Um, but the thing was, after that train ride, five and a half days, we just we loved it. There was the there was the restaurant car, and it changed when you went into a new country. So it had Russian food, and then it had Mongolian food, and then it had Chinese food. Uh, it was just so interesting talking with the other um, with the other passengers, and we could sit and read, and it, and of course, then you sleep on on the train as well. We had a private bathroom, uh, and um, and it was just so nice that when the five and a half days were up. We're like, we didn't want it to end. We're like, that's it? It's done already? Like, it was just, it was fantastic. And I just, I can't imagine any other way of getting around that that I would be like, after five and a half days of it, I mean, five and a half days on an airplane, I'd be ready to kill somebody. I did have, when when we did the, the American trip, we did have the added bonus of one of the legs. There was a National Park Ranger on the train who just sort of did a, kind of tour thing of just going like nice. this is this lake this is its history and like that was which we didn't know was going to happen until right. i wandered down to the bar car and was like oh this is this is cool i was like come on down we've got like this is, we've got this sort of free and that was I, one of those amazing yeah. cars where they've sort of made windows in the top as well and right right and i want that in the uk I want, I'd, I'd, we've not got sort of mountains in quite the same way, maybe, for many of our... But the British countryside can be quite nice, as long as it's not too close to a motorway, you know, it's uh, yeah. it can be quite nice. People go up to the Lake District and the Peak District, and, uh, you know, the Scottish Highlands are they're stunning as well. Yeah, yeah, they'd be good from, they'd be good from, from a train. And yeah. It is, <laughs> you keep going back to this thing of, like, the, the expansion of people being, I was, like, I was just thinking about how... There will be people who will be very excited for uh, a good sort of 15, 20 minutes of train content. Um, yeah. which <laughs> I does... was thinking the same thing. We will talk about <laughs> trains forever if you if you let me. Right. So like well, maybe we should talk about something else because, uh, you know, I know it's not just bikes, but it's not just trains either. So there. Um, but but there, but like that is like a but there is a whole uh, move like like I, I will if I mention trains in a video, I will get a kind of trains. Just people writing the word trains as as <laughs> entire that's the entire that's the comment, comment. That's capital the, letters trains. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the whole thing. That's like that's a a thing you can be a fan of now. Like which I guess it always has been, but but now it's sort of. I dare to say it's it's kind of it's cool 
like like previously being a f- being a fan of a train was maybe not the 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 in thing yeah the term that was used for them and it's still used is is the people who like go and look at trains and watch trains are called foamers like they're foaming at the mouth they're like uh, which uh, okay. ha- which has a rabies connotation to it right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that they're these rabid foamers uh who are obsessed with trains you know i think actually uh it's it's a little bit sad but i think part of the reason for this uptick in interest in urban planning and better and walkable cities uh, also comes from the fact that um, younger people are just too poor to afford cars. Uh, yeah. um, and I honestly think that's an element because when I see discussions in, uh, in, in forums and in subreddits where there are younger people talking about their work uh, mm-hmm. and about their pay and about the problems that they're finding uh, in the world, it very often comes up, especially with Americans, they'll say like, you know, I'd be so much better off if I didn't need this car. Mm. And I think that's a big cultural shift because if you look at boomers, boomers were really steeped in car culture, like Mm. really, really steeped. You look at their movies, their TV shows, their music. I mean, if you listen to anything by the Beach Boys, half their music's about cars. You know, if it's not about surfing in California, it's about the car they're driving. Yeah. Um, and, and when you look at all of the, the, the 1950s and 60s type uh, stuff that was on TV and in media, it's all the cars. Yeah. And so the boomers are really all about the cars. And uh, I would say they've even been exposed to extreme levels of propaganda about cars. Mm. And I think that certainly continued. I'm a Gen Xer. Um, that continued through that, you know, that cars were were a thing. The SUVs, when I was researching about the history of SUVs, again, reminding myself of some of that, because I had read High and Mighty back in 2002, a book by a Detroit auto journalist about the uh, rise of SUVs, which is one of the things that helped radicalize me. But um, I remember, like, uh, one of the things I was reminded of is that one of my favorite movies, Back to the Future, uh, in that in that film, Marty just cannot like he sees this this Toyota pickup truck, right? And he just really wants this Toyota pickup truck so badly. And it's actually like a core part of the story. And at the end, when when the the past gets changed and the future becomes perfect, he owns that pickup truck now. And and that mm. again, it's like there there were these things that that I didn't even wasn't even consciously aware of at the time but there was so much of that car culture that went through my childhood and and the media that i consumed and then i kind of success i think i don't know if it's a thatcher quote or if it's someone uh sort of member of her cabinet that said that if you're um i think like if a young man still catching the bus at the age of 25 he should consider himself a failure like the yeah. idea that if you've not that that's <clears throat> independence and it's also a kind of um that's you being your own person in the world, being a kind of proper individual rather than relying on, you know, this this vehicle that is being provided to you. That's by the state. Yes. Yeah. I'm surprised you were able to mention uh, she who shall not be named <laughs> without a lightning bolt coming down and striking us both. So maybe we won't say the T word anymore in this discussion. But but yes, uh, she was uh, just like Reagan, and and I, and in Canada there was a fellow called Brian Mulrooney who was a similar that that just neoliberal capitalism. Uh, oh Jesus Christ, those people! But yes, there was definitely this this um, overarching message that 
that uh, public transit is for poor people, desperate people. Why would you be doing that? And th that stigma absolutely existed in my hometown. Um, I remember uh, I was actually just uh, somebody had just sent me a clip uh, of a previous podcast I had done because it came up in conversation. I had totally forgotten about it. I went back and listened to it with uh, Chuck from Strong Towns. And we were talking about public transportation and the way people feel about it. And when I was growing up as a teenager, like I was living in this in this suburb that was, you know, for a teenager, especially boring as hell. There was basically nothing within walking distance. And so my friends and I would sometimes go downtown. But to do that, we had to go wait for a bus and the bus that was scheduled to come every 45 minutes. But of course, it didn't it usually would come 45 minutes late and two of them would come at once. Um, the bus sucked. And I remember when I turned 16 and I finally got my driver's license, I was like, oh, yes, finally, I'm free. Mm. Uh, and I mentioned in one of my videos, the first thing I did was I drove to Wendy's and bought a hamburger. Like, that was, oh, my God, I'm 16. I can buy my own hamburger. Like, it's so pathetic thinking back on it in retrospect, to be honest. It's absolutely pathetic. But the thing was, the, the bus was seen, and I think still is seen today in my hometown, um, as something that... Uh, you really only take if you're poor or desperate. And I, that sounds terrible, but that's simply the way that people look at it. And the reason for that is, I think it's just an inferior mode of transport, but it doesn't have to be an inferior mode of, tra mode of transport. It's just been made that way. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's, it gets stuck in the same traffic as the cars, as I've talked about hundreds of times before. Uh, so yeah, when, when your buses are infrequent and unreliable and they're old clunkers that are like, you know, belching out black smoke and they're stuck in traffic and like, of course, you're not going to take the bus if, if you, if you can afford a car. Mm. Um, but I feel like that's a self-fulfilling prophecy by making public transit so inferior. Um, and in, and in making it not be something that's used enough that it means that the smaller routes have to be cancelled because not yes. enough people get them. And it yes. does sort of spiral, doesn't it? Because you, um, yeah, because you don't, you because if it's not bringing in enough money to run that route, then you can't run right. that route and therefore no one's using it. So someone else gets a car because that's not a viable option anymore, um, which I think we struggle with in the UK where it means that both routes get cancelled, but also then fares have to go up because yep. less people have to pay for more of the bus running i guess um and that is that is your death spiral of public transit and we're seeing it happen all over the world especially after covid where uh there was a drop in ridership and therefore mm -hmm. income um even amsterdam's talking about cutting back uh some of the frequencies on some of the tram and bus routes uh which is really sad uh but i think it also goes back to those people who shall not be named that we talked about from the 80s who really looked at, at at bringing the market into everything, right? It was all about the free market, private ownership. You've talked about this in your videos. You talked about it with your, your energy stuff too, but it happened with public transportation as well. This idea that the private, the private uh, companies will run public transportation better and they'll, they'll create competition within the system and that will create better service for everyone at a lower cost. And that has been proven to be completely and totally wrong in almost all cases, with very few exceptions. You know, if you look at, for instance, Japan, where the public transit, the train companies actually make most of their money off of real estate. Hong Kong is the same kind of kind of thing. Mm. But privatization of these of these um, public transportation has been a horrible failure in almost every place it's ever been attempted. And certainly as you've seen it in the UK, 
Um, and and I think it does happen that some of these routes, you know, they're not bringing in enough money, and so then they're cut, and then that starts that spiral. But I think we have to back up a little bit here and say, like, well, does it need to bring in that much money? Do all of these routes need to be profitable, or is there an overall societal benefit yeah. to having good quality transit? Because otherwise, like, if you look at the small town that you say you grew up in, and you you see these all over mm -hmm. the place where public transit's been cut back to one bus a day or something like that. I mean, it, if if that bus were running every half hour, say, um, throughout most of the day, daylight hours, there would be more people taking it. There are mm. almost certainly, when those buses are cut back, there are almost certainly people who went to driving, whether they yeah. went and bought a car or whether they bought a second car or whether they started driving when they could have taken public transit or whatever it might be. And what are the implications of that when you suddenly have hundreds of these little towns where everybody is now driving and basically nobody's taking public transportation anymore? What are the impacts of society in that? And we also then start to get these, these uh, where we're trying to reduce the number of automobiles in cities, but then all of the people who live in the peripheral towns say, well, I have to drive in, I have no other choice. And then that becomes a, a factor that pushes back against making the cities better. And then we end up with all these problems with too many cars in the cities and all of the uh, negative things that happen from that. And a lot of that just stems from the fact that we went and said, all the public transit needs to be profitable. All the public transit needs to, you know, every route needs to bring in money and otherwise it gets cut. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I think as a society, we're paying the price for, for that kind of short-sighted vision for public transit. And it's particularly that. frustrating, of course, when the roads are subsidized like crazy because mm. there is a social good to people being like like i what one thing i think of is you know in, in that village that i grew up in the population sort of leaned older uh right. and you know there was probably either well there's certainly uh older people who either were then kind of just cut off um you know maybe you know probably had good social social networks within the the village itself but suddenly couldn't go into the slightly bigger town or go right. go to the village over or to the town after that to um go to the slightly bigger supermarket themselves or to um go to the slightly bigger wi group or whatever their particular um you know play tennis or whatever something that, that, that we didn't have in the village um or stays driving slightly longer than um yeah uh, then it's probably safe probably have probably a, a, a great idea um because they kind of that's their only way to you know go and see their mate fred um who who lives somewhere where the bus could have taken them um yeah uh but it's interesting the that you brought up the kind of opposite end of that of of younger people who for whom car ownership is actually who are rethinking things because car ownership is maybe not affordable or or at least not a sensible uh financial decision to make like i don't think yeah. i've necessarily thought of it myself in quite that way but i think that's probably where my sort of relationship i think like i said earlier we've we've got a car that um that my partner uses to get to work from my point of view it's it's you know i need to do something in particular where i need to transport something or we have to go somewhere where a train can't take us or it's just 
too expensive because UK trains are really expensive yeah. and we need to get four of us somewhere or something. Um, and so like my my approach to sort of our car is is this is a very specific thing that is like a tool that I use on particular um, occasions. And I think that right. is just from having had, I sort of learned to drive when I was 17 and then drove my mum's car for a bit after that, but then just sort of didn't have a car for a decade because it never quite, it was never quite affordable or never quite seemed like the trade-off, like spending however much on the car and yeah. insurance and all of that never quite made yeah. sense for the sort of benefits I was going to get out of it. So it right. does mean that I didn't have that kind of, um, you know, the James Dean film kind of thing of like getting the car <laughs> when you're when you're 17. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, right. Uh, which which of growing up rurally, like I, uh, you know, what my one of my brother's friends at the time, his life revolved around his car. That was, you know, in very much that same way. That was everything. It was getting the yep. big speakers on the back. Um, yep. Not to really drive anywhere in particular, I don't think, but just to sort of drive around. Um, it becomes uh, part of your identity, right? Yeah. Whereas, 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 yeah, I think I, I imagine sort of my experience, I imagine lots of people who are um, now enthusiastically orange pilled uh, members of fuck cars um, have maybe had a slightly different experience. So you, you sort of view it through a slightly different lens of this is a tool I can use rather yeah. than a um rather than something that is part of my uh i don't know like you know, some people when they budget they have a car payment that is definitely something they would have to include rather than a, a thing that is an option that you could have yeah i mean i think ultimately that's what my channel is really about it's about car dependency being dependent on a car is a bad thing and it, and it benefits absolutely nobody except the people who sell cars uh car dependency is is horrible and, and huge parts of the U.S. and Canada are car dependent. There's parts of Europe that are car dependent, but not in the same way that they are in North America. Because mm. even, a, even a car dependent place in Europe um, will still have a local high street or something like that, right? Like there may there may still be some services that are within walking distance. Um, and there are at least some alternatives. A car may still be the fastest way to get around. But it's not car dependent. It's not like you literally can't feed yourself without getting in a car. And that is the situation in large parts of North America. And so you're basically burdening everyone in society with the cost of a car. And sometimes you need to have two cars. You know, for example, if you have, you know, two people in a household and they both work. Uh, and you also start to see it. I mean, I see it all over Canada where, you know, the kids turn 16 and the kids need a car because mm. the parents are tired of driving them to high school every day. And and it's absurd. Uh, it's absolutely absurd that you would need a car. Uh, I think needing a car is insane. And I think that we should push back against that in any way possible. I, I would love to see it that cars stop being cool. They stop being this like this 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 status symbol that people are desperate to own, and they just become a tool. You know, like 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 I have I have a a circular saw, and I use the circular saw when I need it to cut something, but I'm not using it for everything. You know, <laughs> you're not looking. You're not you're not stood there just looking around going yeah, like, like, what can I use this on? <laughs> you know, you know the you know the phrase. Yeah, this is, when this is when all you have is an when all you have is an SUV, everything looks like a drive, right? So, um, so yeah, there, there's actually a uh, 
there's actually a fellow in the UK who uh, who started a some uh, a organization called Bike is Better, and it and it's uh, it, they do uh, public service announcement in the UK about uh, how short you know for short trips take a bike basically. Mm. But they have this really funny video where they show people like using tools for completely ridiculous things like using a blowtorch to light a candle and things like that. And it's quite funny. And then at the end of the video of all these absurd things, they show a guy with a single jug of milk and he puts it in the back of his truck. And it's the same thing, right? Like, yeah. why, why are you buying? If you need a single jug of milk, why would you do it in two tons of steel? It's absurd. Yeah. And I think that's really it. Um, and I, I, I think that, you know, cars are useful, as I said at the beginning of this. And, and we drive sometimes, too. We don't own a car uh, because we live in a place uh, where owning a car would be a liability. It wouldn't be a benefit. Like, it would be one more thing to worry about. We'd have to pay to insure it, and it's out on the street, and we need to make sure that it doesn't get scratched or broken into or whatever. And it really doesn't provide us any serious benefit. Uh, so we use a car share program. So those are shared cars that are around the town. And there's lots of car share programs. And if I need a car... I can go get one. I can open an app and I can have a car within a couple of minutes. Uh, and that's fine. I rarely, rarely use a car mm. uh, just because it's, it's not necessary. And I, and I would like, I, I think that's the way that most people should be able to live, that it's an option, mm. uh, but it sure as hell isn't a requirement. And I think what I, don't, I, think what I find really interesting about like your channel and, and some of the other channels that do a similar thing and the kind of also the sort of broader movement that has come to exist around it is the fact that I guess yes, there is a, a subreddit called Fuck Cars, and some <laughs> of it is very is 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 about being anti car, but there's also there's not just there's not just a no, there is also lots of yeses. And I feel yeah. like that I I have learned a huge amount of like I can now I can look at the the city in which I live and I can not only go, Oh, I think that thing doesn't work, I can go Oh, I think this area should be pedestrianized, and I think right. that this. Um, uh, and I'm like passionate about the things. Like it feels like there's lots of yeses in a really positive way. Um, we we've recently got a, or I think it's just launching at the moment, a bike scheme. I think it is uh, for, of like ones you pick up, and and I think they're slightly too expensive. And I feel really passionate about the. I've got this thing where I'm like I'm really passionate about this scheme existing, and I think it right. should exist and be good. I think there's a problem with it that I think needs to be worked out. Um, but it feels like a really kind of positive thing rather than just a um, just a negative, which is which I think is is what makes it kind of really exciting for me. Um, do you right. see that as well, or do, or do you just see? I the... do, although I can be plenty negative at times <laughs> because uh, because I do get angry at this stuff. Mm. Uh, you know what's interesting though? Even fuck cars is actually quite a positive subreddit, and in many ways, mm. I would say they're often more positive. Like they do lots of memey stuff, uh, and that's you know they love it, mm. um, and that's great. But they are can actually be even more positive than my content. I find over on on fuck cars. And I actually think that um, the name Fuck Cars is a little bit uh, deceiving, but at the same time, we wouldn't be talking about it right now if it were called End Car Dependency, right? Yeah, like, yeah. nobody would care. The, 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 the Fuck Cars gets the name. Because I think, I think the thing is, there are a lot of people that are waking up to this, you know, outside of my channel, outside of being orange-pilled. There are people who are waking up to this where they have been steeped in auto industry propaganda their entire lives. And, uh, and, and to say that a car is a necessity and it's something that you should strive for and it's something that as soon as you get your license, you will want to do this. And then when they see something like fuck cars, they're like, huh, what? 
what are you talking about? Like, are you crazy? But then it causes them to sort of look at it and go, you know what? Now that you mention it, there are all these negatives that come along with this as well. And and I think I think that does catch people's attention. Um, so yes, there there is a, a positive angle to it as well. But there's definitely going to be a lot of negativity because, as I said, I feel like we got too excited about this new technology when the automobile came along. And I feel like we went all in on it. And we really do need to bring it back. And I think that that's going to be a difficult thing for a lot of reasons. It's difficult to change the status quo, period, especially when it's entrenched with a lot of, you know, fossil fuel industry interests, automobile industry interests, and lots of all the things that that stretch out from those industries, too. So mm. it's going to be a tough thing to claw back. But I think ultimately, it's going to be better for everyone to claw it back. And I think when it comes to cars, again, I really want to see it used as a tool in the toolbox, not to be the only thing that we have at our disposal. And I and I and I want us to look at this and say, like, what do you really need cars for? Because that's one of the other things that's really frustrated me about this conversation as I've orange pilled myself on this coming from car dependent suburbia and thinking that, you know, for example, when I lived without a car uh, through university, I would have people telling me, oh, yeah, yeah. But when you get a real job, you're going to want a car. And then I got a real job and I took the streetcar there. But then people would say, yeah, but but when you have kids. You're going to want a car. You're going to need a car when you have kids. But then we had kids, and actually it was perfectly fine. We could walk to the school. We could, we could take the kid on a bike. And not only was it possible, it was actually better because we did live, for example, when we lived in Belgium, because of where my wife and I worked, we needed to own a car. And actually it was the only time in our entire lives that we owned two cars because we both needed to drive to work, and that was in Brussels. And, and it actually kind of sucked to take the kids to school in a car. It was much less comfortable. The kids were strapped into these car seats. And comparing that to taking the kids like we we done here in a cargo bike, night and day. Cargo bike is a thousand times better for kids. Mm. And so again, it's like there's these compounding lies that I've been told my whole life that, oh, you know, oh, if you were disabled, you will need to have a car. A very common one that we hear all the time. And yet here in Amsterdam, I see disabled people on tricycles and mobility scooters. I see them all the time. Every single day, I see a disabled person out. Uh, and they are getting around just fine. And I hear constantly uh, from people who watch my channel who are physically disabled who will say to me, I can't drive a car because of my disability. I'm not allowed to get a driver's license. Or I am not physically able to drive a car or whatever. There's a huge percentage of the disabled population who can't drive. And yet people are out there saying, nope, we need to keep the cars because of disabled people. And mm. those people are just totally being ignored. Those people who are disabled and can't drive aren't being hurt. Same thing with seniors. That Oh, seniors need cars to get around. But again, I see people in their 80s and 90s here cycling or on tricycles or on mobility scooters or on public transit. And it's serving these people very well. And I think this is really what we have to do. We have to start using cars as a tool when necessary and when they are useful and reducing the societal costs to those because having everybody in a car is a bad thing. We've seen it in the United States. It, it's terrible. Uh, we don't want to go down that road. But let's also be honest with ourselves, like use a car when it's really necessary. Have cars when they're really necessary. Well, anyway. 
what a what a way to to round <laughs> to round us <laughs> off. Um, I think I think that's that was, it, right? That was, that was that was a really good like uh, final stump speech for the for the episode. <laughs> I think um for the kind of two people listening who are like wait not just not just what sorry what uh who, who's this <laughs> who's, who's, who's this guy uh yeah, for anybody can... who hasn't seen it yet not just bikes if you search for not just bikes you'll find it it's most it's mostly on youtube but i've stretched out i have started a podcast actually called the urbanist agenda where you i'm have. talking with other urbanists about uh about all the things that we're talk about but haven't turned into videos yet and so hopefully that seems to be actually taking off quite well uh it's just the oh, first great. couple episodes episode three is coming out soon with rm transit and it's been that's been great i'm looking forward to checking that out because i think it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to hear um uh, lots of lots of creators that sort of create things separately sort of find the the things that you agree on and the things that maybe you don't and the, the ways your experiences overlap i'm sure it's gonna be fascinating yeah and the things that we learn from each other too because like for example i was uh, the second episode i was talking with alan fisher from the youtube channel alan fisher um about micro mobility and you know these these electric scooters and one wheels and all these other things that you see around and most of those things are illegal in the netherlands and i've never ridden them at all and so it was fascinating to hear from alan who not only uh, has ridden these things he used to make his own uh, electric longboards uh, when he was wow. in university and he even worked for an electric uh, scooter company, one of those rental scooters that used with yeah. an app. And so it was fascinating to hear from him about that experience and where he sees them fitting in and, and what it's like in Philadelphia, where he lives now, about when people use them and how they combine them with public transit. And it's actually really, really interesting. I learned a lot. Oh, great. And that's the Urbanist Agenda. The Urbanist Agenda. Yep. Cool. And um, well, thank you so much for... Uh, joining me, Jason. Um, I was going to do a round of applause, but it's just me. So that will be very <laughs> sad. I'm, I'm going to get. I'm hopefully at some point I'll get good at hosting podcasts. Uh, not trying to do a round of applause with an audience who's not going to listen for a couple of weeks' time. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me, uh, and I hope you have a, a wonderful rest of your evening. Yeah, thanks so much, Tom. It was great. Thank you so much for listening to my chat with Jason from Not Just Bikes. I hope you found it interesting and enjoyable in some way. As I mentioned during the show, if you want to be among the first to get access to new episodes of Induction as they come out, then you can do so by signing up to my premium streaming service, Nebula. To get the best deal on Nebula while supporting us to make more episodes like this one, you can head to go.nebula.tv forward slash induction. Thank you so much again for listening, and I'll catch you in the next episode of the show.